0: I'd like you to turn to the book of Revelation chapter 21, Revelation 21. There's a joke at the conference because everybody knows I'm very submissive to my wife. If she critiques me after any meeting, I bow down, I submit. So if you see me bow down in this meeting, it's because I'm very submissive to my wife. And by the way, that's a sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So bowing down as much as I do must mean that I'm really filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's Ephesians 5.18 through about verse 21. You know, Elisha, when he asked me to speak on these subjects, he gave me an hour on each subject and god blessed i mean i had never done a prophecy conference i've been through the book of revelation probably a quarter of my ministry has been devoted to that book because i did revelation in 3 years up to chapter 20 and then i did it again people wanted any, every so many years 6 or 7 years i'm doing the book of revelation again for about 3 years Been through the book of Daniel, been through all the prophetic books. I love prophecy. I was saved by reading the Late Great Planet Earth. A man knew my dad, gave him the book, The Late Great Planet Earth. His name was Ed Skonekvik. I read the book, but I didn't get saved, but I told everybody about what I read. And then a year and a half later, I committed my life to Christ in a service station working for a man that had a son named Guy who died. And I just read the Bible. I was reading Matthew and and got saved by reading the Bible. So that's a little bit of my background. And I love my son. He said, Dad, you got 35 minutes today. And I said, Elisha, I usually go 50. And he came up to me this morning and he says, Dad, we're not getting as many baptisms today, so I'm going to give you 45. And I said, okay, okay, I'll take the 45. But I've written for 35, I think. But anyway... We're talking about the new heavens and new earth, and everybody gets excited about heaven, right? Well, I, we're going to deviate a little bit in our subject matter because what we're really going to discuss is a preparation for that, what's going to happen to the earth, and then we're going to go in the millennium. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go point by point, like number one, number two. I know you love to take notes, so that's what we're going to do. And If you want to talk to me, some people still had questions. I was talking to individuals and they were standing in line asking me questions. Anybody has a question, feel free to come up to me later in the day. And when you see me, I'll I'll be glad to speak with you privately about any questions you have. In Revelation, we're talking about the idea of the great white throne judgment. At the same time the great white throne judgment happens in Revelation 20... We say the new heavens and new earth are formed because the old heavens and old earth flee away, right? And so that's what we're going to emphasize, this idea of a, a distant future, both related to the church and Israel because we got a very short time in heaven. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for family that are here and and people I've got to know. Father, you know me. I wanted to hug everybody in this church. Some people came in a little bit late. I wasn't standing at the door, but Father, in my heart, I hugged them. I love this church, Father. I love the faithfulness of the men here, the leaders, and my son, the Way, he preaches the Word of God. I pray for Ray today as he's preaching at Living Way, Father. God bless him. He had to speak there today for somebody who couldn't speak because they got COVID. Father, I pray you'd bless Elisha and uh, his ministry here. And I pray for my son David and Emily in Papua New Guinea that you would have your hand upon them, Father. And I thank you for my wife. Who is really responsible for the salvation of our children father I just I'm grateful father for help me i bless your word today father bless those that are gathered together in Jesus name amen now those that I couldn't hug this morning there you go and those I couldn't hug this morning there you go and I missed my home church today but I got one of my elders preaching for me who's very good bible teacher so I'm very thankful for that When you look, I'm going to share scripture and I'll read some scripture to you. I'll have you turn, but we'll always be in the book of Revelation. So if you have a tablet or you have a Bible, just keep that in mind. The end of this present world system in the heavens is because of corruption of sin. And it says in 2 Peter 3 7, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. When we talk about going to heaven, it's short lived, beloved. Let's say the rapture was to come today. And I know there are people that are mid-trib and post-trib. And we went through a long dissertation of why we believe pre-trib. It took me a whole session, a whole hour to go through that. And usually it takes me four 45-minute messages to do the rapture, to be thorough. But I did it the best passages I know of to prove a point. And I am just saying... If I was caught up today, to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. We all know that from 2 Corinthians 5. So I immediately step into the presence of the Lord, right? So I'm in heaven. And don't get me wrong, there is time with the Lord, but the Lord also says a day is as a thousand years as a thousand years is as, as one day. King James says, know that to interpret prophecy. So with God, things change in eternity a little bit. There's still a focus on time, but not the same kind of focus that we might be thinking about. But he does use time to explain his program. Well, when I go to be with the Lord, I think it's a very short time before, let's say, if my wife passed away before me, I would be rejoined with her. If I died and went to be with the Lord, she'd be rejoined with me. I think it's a very short time in God's calendar. So when I think about going to heaven, I think it's going to be a short period of time. Why? If, if the rapture did come pre-trib, then I go to be with the Lord. Well, guess what? There might be a slight lag between his coming for his church and the tribulation period, which is seven years, according to Daniel 9.27. And according to Revelation, the great tribulation is the last part of that seven years called the three and a half years. So I go to heaven, and the Lord gives a little transition time maybe between that time and the beginning of the day of the Lord. And so when I go to heaven, I might be there for just a short time, or if I die today and the rapture doesn't come for a long time and the tribulation doesn't begin in the future. Uh, and the revealing of the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the two witnesses that will contest them in the book of Revelation. I mean, it could be a a, a lengthy period of time. But in all actuality, I don't think so much about heaven as I think about the new heavens and the new earth. 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9, says this concerning this reckoning of time. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise and is not as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but it all should come to eternal life. We know that God does the work. We know he's gonna do everything to bring people to Christ. And in that respect, he, his program goes on and on so we might see more souls come to know Christ before he calls his church out of this world. That could be weeks, months, years, decades. We just do not know, nobody knows. But when you look at scripture, when we're looking at chapter 21, we're gonna see various things about this new heavens and new earth we're gonna be involved in. And the saints of all ages are gonna be involved in that, whether it's an Old Testament saint, Jewish believers, who tried to keep the law, knew they couldn't keep the law, were looking forward to the Messiah, based on passages like Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, Micah 5, 2. They didn't understand. When you look at the book of Isaiah, I've showed you all the passages or commented on how many passages in Isaiah not only emphasize the millennial reign of Christ and the bringing together of Judah and Israel, the 10 tribes that have never been together for 2,900 years. The idea is also spoken there of The kingdom being set up. That's why they expected Jesus to set up his kingdom. They were confused between the first and second coming. And the kingdom is the millennium. But after the millennium, Jews and Gentiles who've been saved in Christ are all together. And righteousness reigns throughout eternity in the millennium you still have sin you still have people that will come into the millennium who came out of the great tribulation who survived according to Zechariah 14 and they go in and also Matthew 24 and 25 which has nothing to do with the church and I've explained why it has nothing to do with the church it's all about Israel Israel has a future. God will have a remnant. He's always had a remnant of believers. We're only going to be a remnant. And so Jew and Gentile will be brought together in the new heavens and new earth. So in a sense, when you talk about heaven, you're really talking about eventually getting to the new heavens and new earth. So what's it going to be like What's it going to be like? And I'm just going to go slow point by point. And a lot of people try and spiritualize scripture. We take the Bible literally. Whether it's Old or New Testament, whatever it says, we take it literally. Whether it be the prophecies of Christ or the prophecies of the future, we don't spiritualize it away like the Reformers did. The Reformers were called to straighten out Catholicism and bring in justification by faith, and sola scriptura, dependence on the Word of God. They were to bring in sola gracia, the glory of God. All these things they brought in, but they saw Israel destroyed. They saw it in desolation. They thought the promises of God must belong to the church, replacement theology. I'm just telling you this morning, Jews will be in heaven with us throughout all ages. Old Testament Jews, according to Daniel 12, 1 and 2. In the millennium and in the new heavens and new earth. And Gentiles like you and I, most of us, mixed. We will be there too because we believed in Jesus Christ. So what are the characteristics? Look at verse 1 of chapter 21. Then I saw new heavens and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. And people said, we got to spiritualize that. That can't mean there's not going to be any sea. Well, back in the book of Genesis, there were the seas, okay? And there was one land mass. And guess what? Later on in the flood, and during the time of Tower Babel, when humanism came into play, and the people wanted to be united in Babel in Genesis 11, it says, in the days of Piglig, the earth was divided. We got our continents. You can take the continents and put them together. And you say, why would God have no more oceans? Because, beloved, we're perfect. What they tried to do at Babel, God's going to do. He's going to bring Jew and Gentile, two groups together in one throughout eternity. We don't need the oceans to divide us. And I think, boy, I love the ocean. But I believe this is to be taken literally. I don't think it's taken spiritually. Some people will try and take this away. But I believe with all my heart, because we're one, we'll have one landmass. You don't have to believe that if you don't want to. That's number one. Number two, there's going to be a literal city. And I'll talk about that later on. I'm only mentioning it here because the Bible is very clear on this subject in verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Interesting, the new Jerusalem. They have the old Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. And we know during the millennium, Jerusalem will be the capital of the world concerning Isaiah 2, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 65, Jeremiah 31, 31. I mean, man alive, there's evidence all over. You have to rip out pages of the Bible and say, we don't believe this. We just rip it out. We believe in replacement theology. There's no future for Israel. It's just the church. The Bible does not teach that. You have to tear pages out. So, beloved, there's a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And that new Jerusalem is not just for the Jewish people, that remnant that's talked about in Romans chapter 11, around verse 25 down to verse 31. It is talked about right here. Right here. And in the Gospel of John, verses 2 through 6, it says... In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I go and prepare a place for you that I will come again and receive you to myself. Sounds kind of like a rapture to me. That's exactly what 1 Thessalonians 4 teaches, the word harpazo. He's catching us up to be with him. That where I am, there you may be also. So you know the way that I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? This is the night of his betrayal. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. Can I hear an amen? I'm going to tell you, there's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12. Jesus said it. There's no other way. And syncretism today says you can believe in any God. It's the same God. I'm sorry. Jesus is a little pathway. You walk down that pathway alone. John chapter 1 verse 12 says, being born again is not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, not of blood. It is of God. You're not born into it. Somebody doesn't pronounce you that at water baptism, that somehow now you enter the kingdom of God. Uh, you, You don't get it from church attendance. You don't get it from any other way. You don't get it. You get it because you know Christ is your Savior. And so many Americans are religious. So many people claim to be Christians who are just religious. Verse 10. He carried me away in the spirit into a great high mountain and showed me the holy city again, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God. I love to talk about this because as we'll see later on, none of us could ever step into the presence of God. You couldn't. Even Moses can only see the afterglow of God. God is a consuming fire, it says in Deuteronomy, two or three times. And so being transformed means we'll see him just as he is. At the rapture for sure, when we're transformed, we're in the millennium with Old Testament saints that are transformed according to the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. We'll see him just as he is. But we're going to see God the Father. We're going to see the full Shekinah glory of God, the brightness of God. That's what it's teaching in these passages. Number three. God will be in the very presence of his people. Verse 3 of chapter 21. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And I'm saving the best for last. This is what he always said to his people in the Old Testament. You will be my people, and I will be your God. Beloved, that's already true of us. It's already true of Old Testament saints. We're just waiting for the reality of it. There's no fear of death in his presence. Can you imagine the cloud always coming down on the Mount of Transfiguration? Three disciples, Peter, James, and John, Matthew chapter 16, they they fell down on the ground and And Peter was so impulsive, and I've been impulsive in my life. I know what it's all about. He speaks up. He lets his lips say things that are inappropriate. He said, let us build three tabernacles, one for you, Lord, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And there's a cloud comes down because the cloud covers the Shekinah glory of God that people will not be consumed by the brightness and the fire of God. He comes down and says, this is my beloved son, hear him. Don't get off onto Moses and Elijah who are just men, just great prophets of God. One being a mediator and the other being the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Although Elisha had a double portion of the spirit of God. Amen, Elisha? I prayed over my son one day and said, God, use my son. Use his name. Bless him more than you've ever blessed me. And he did. And he's doing it. That cloud protected them from the glory of God. One day we won't have to be protected. Because we'll, we'll be like him. And we'll see him just as he is in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1-3. through 3. Point four. It won't be a makeover the new heavens and new earth like the regeneration talked about in Matthew 19 for the disciples. When he... He regenerates, and it says that the disciples, who are now apostles, will be ruling over the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, that's millennial, but it's only a remake. It's only a kind of a rebirth of the earth. It's not the total makeover of the old earth and old heavens being consumed because of sin and corruption. The new heavens and the new earth are completely new. Just as much as our salvation, when you come to know Christ, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, everything's new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, don't hold the past over your head. Move on. Jesus tells us to look to every day and carry our cross daily. Don't look at the past. Only look at the future, no matter what you've done. Because, boy, I failed the Lord in big ways myself. I make all things new, it says in verse 5. I make all things new. Right, for these words are faithful and true. And remember, it's a literal city. I can't go into detail. I wished I could. But if I was to do Revelation 21 and 22, it could take me eight messages. Easily. That's just the way it would be. I'd be going all over Scripture back and forth, proving each point that I'm talking about this morning. But I'm just giving you the skeleton. This is a literal city, point five. I just mentioned it in passing, but it is a literal city. So this city is surrounded by a wall. So let's look at verses 12 through 14. It had a great and high wall, 12 gates, and the 12 gates are the 12 angels, and the names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. Not the church, the sons of Israel. There are three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. Why? Because there are 12 tribes. That's the way it was set up in the Old Testament. The tabernacle was surrounded by these tribes and you're dealing with a 10 by 10 mile radius of millions of people coming out of Egypt and you know what the east gate is of the tabernacle? It's the tribe of Judah, the lion symbol on the, on the, the flag and it's Jesus being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but he's also the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the book of Revelation tells us. This is very reminiscent of that kind of Old Testament picture of the tabernacle and the tribes surrounding the tabernacle, and God is always the center. In the beginning of the book of Revelation, Jesus has the seven churches around him, the seven lampstands, and five of those churches aren't very good. One of them is so totally bankrupt, it's going to go through the great tribulation, and the other one, Philadelphia, said to be taken out of that period not through it but out of it and so you have these pictures of these churches and guess who the center is just like the tabernacle it's christ he's the hub of the wheel without him those seven churches that surround him in that gentle arc in asia minor don't exist and we don't exist in salvation without him he's the hub of my life every time i stand up And speak, I'm nervous. I ask God, please, Lord, may my words not be enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit of power, that their faith should not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I am helpless apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. That's what it says in John 15. I believe it's verse 5. He is the vine and we are the branches. There's so many ways to look at Christ that we'll talk about this morning. This wall is awesome. And it involves the 12 tribes of Israel. And then it says in verse 14, in the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. This is such a beautiful picture. Such a beautiful picture. Let's also read verse 17. He measured its wall... 72 yards, according to human measurements, which are also angelic mes- uh, measurements. The wall has to be longer than 1,500 miles. And it's just the foundation stones, the whole wall is mentioned. But they're mentioning the foundation stones of the wall itself. I used to think the foundation stones were the whole wall. No, they're the bottom of the wall. To give you an idea of that, because the city has literal dimensions, the United States from coast to coast is about 2,800 miles in length. So the tabernacle is, is a little over half the way across the United States. And so the wall has to be bigger than the city because the city is 1,500 miles high. And you say, oh, I think that's symbolic language. I, I don't believe that. Well, you don't believe the God who made the heavens and the earth that can't be searched out, according to Jeremiah 31, couldn't build the greatest apartment building there ever was. And he, in my father's house are many dwelling places. Beloved, he's got a room per, picked out for you. The height of the wall is amazing, 216 feet. That is about five telephone poles stacked end to end. Think about that for a minute. You look at a regular 40-foot, 45-foot wood telephone pole. Just put five of them stacked end to end, and you get an idea of a wall. And you say, why do you need a wall? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know, because everybody's righteous, There's not going to be any crime or anything like that. We'll talk about that at the end of this message. Why have a wall? Well, Old Testament cities had a wall. Maybe a New Testament city like this in the new heavens and earth is going to have a wall. And the gates, I'm just going to mention to them, there are 12 gates, right? Verse 12 and 13, that's what it says. And when you look at the the context of these gates, they're pearls in verse 21. Each gate is a solid pearl. And angels stand guard at each gate. And the names of the 12 tribes are written on the gates and on the foundation wall. The foundation of the wall. The names of the 12 apostles. Why? You don't get to God if you don't believe in the Old and New Testament. The Jews, the 12 tribes, represent the Old Testament program of God. And the apostles represent the New Testament program of God. And you got four feasts. We're still in Pentecost. You got three feasts to go. On the Jewish calendar, you got the blowing of trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and you got dwelling among, God dwelling among his people in the Feast of Booths. And you say, well, we're in Pentecost and we're the church. Why are there three feasts left? Because one day God's going to regather his remnant, his Jewish people. They're going to experience the Day of Atonement, which is only for them. It was for the priesthood. It was for the individual believer. The whole temple had to be cleansed with blood. It will be experienced by the Jewish people because God's a God of grace. He saved you by grace. You didn't merit it. He, ro- he reached down. And he said, boy, Guy Rimstead's pretty rotten. He, he, he's rotten. I mean, he, he's even got fungus growing on him. But I'm going to choose him. I'm going to draw him, John 6, to myself. Because you think, somehow I was worthy, somehow I came to know God. Romans 3 says, there's no one who seeks after God. There's no one who understands. They've all turned aside, Jew and Gentile, and you think somehow you merit this? I don't even merit it now. It's by God's grace, because what? We're sinners still saved by grace. And you think it gets easier? I found out it's just as hard and even harder. When I have more knowledge, I have more knowledge about me. Like, for instance, James chapter 3, no one can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. This is hard to get this thing under control. Amen? You know, we don't want to be like Satan, do we? His name, one of his names or a title for him is Diabolos. The devil, the slanderer, do you know it's used for believers in the New Testament, warns them about gossip, malicious gossip, because Satan, he's the adversary, the devil, the other name, the title for him is he's a gossip. God hates that. This thing, the older I get, the more I want to say something. Lord, let me punch him. I've had it with this person. They will not listen to counsel. Let me just hit him one time. Or let me call him a son of a something. I can't do it because God's got control of this thing. But it's not easy, beloved. Pastors hurt for their people. Pastors pray for people to grow up, not be carnal, love the word of God, get in it for themselves. It's a, it's a struggle, and my focus is on other people, praying for all our congregation over and over, all these widows that have no husbands anymore, people that have made mistakes and married unbelievers and knowing the consequences that might happen because of two world systems being together and all this stuff, and it just puts a strain on pastors. So pray for your pastor's wife. Be faithful to pray for them. And I know I'm getting a little bit off, but I just want to say the Old and New Testament are absolutely important. I counsel a lot from the Old Testament. I apply the New Testament to the counseling from the Old Testament. And I love Bible prophecy. And these gates are always open. And I I can't believe some of the things we will learn when we look at The New Jerusalem. There's no temple. There is absolutely no temple. That's number six. Verse 22 of chapter 21. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. There's no longer a separation. You don't have a holy of holies where only the priests can go in once a year. You go directly into the presence of God through Christ. It makes it clear in Hebrews chapter 10. Right now the veil's been torn. We go right into his presence. But one day, we won't just be symbolically going in through prayer. We will see him just as he is. God the Father. The one of unquenchable fire. The jealous God that loves us so much he wants us all to himself. That's why he never wanted his people to get involved in idolatry. He wanted his people all for himself. There will be no temple. Verse 3 of chapter 22. At the end of the verse it says, The throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. I'm looking forward to just going to be with the Lord. But I, ultimately, I'm going to be in the new heavens and new earth. But can you imagine what it's going to be like to step into heaven? You imagine how many millions and millions upon millions of people. He tells us, tells us of his angels that there are myriads of myriads of angels, ten thousands of 10,000 angels, and there are going to be trillions, I guess. I, I don't know all the billions and trillions but i'm just saying there's going to be so many people there you wonder how you are going to even move (laughs) and you're going to break through the crowd to try and visit the people you love i just used to look at it as a train depot like people get off a train in world war ii and their loved ones are waiting for them i know ultimately i'm i want to see christ but i can't wait to see my mom i can't wait to see my dad I weep as an older guy now so much. I'm so grateful for knowing the future and knowing what God has for us. That's why I want to live for him. And I know that's why you want to live for him. Because we're not living for today. We're to focus our eyes on the coming of Christ for his church, the second coming, all the things that are coming in the future. 1 Peter 1.13 says that. And verse 14 says, as obedient child, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours and your ignorance. I don't want to be like my old self. I hated my old self. I want to be my new self. So I, I'm looking forward to the fact that one day there'll be no temple and we go right into the presence of Christ and God the Father. I, I, can't, I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. That's number six. Number seven, the city is illuminated by the glory of God. There's, there's no need for the sun, the moon, and the stars. Verse 23, it says the city has no need of the sun, the moon, and the stars to shine on it. The glory of God has illumined it, and the lamp is the Lamb. The lamp is the lamp. Can you imagine in Christ's second coming when he comes back and the illuminaries are darkened according to Joel chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, Revelation 6, 12 and 13, talking about the seals. I mean, this is all over scripture. The lights are going out. Why? Because they're gonna see him slowly return the way he left. And that's all they're gonna see of the glory of God. We're We're gonna stand in his presence and see it. See it perfectly because the glory will illumine the earth and the heavens, because that's how great God is. That's how infinite God is. There'll be no night. Be no night. Now, it doesn't say there won't be a sun, moon, and stars. It just says they, there's no need for them. There's no need for them. So, I don't know if they're going to be there or not be there or whatever, and maybe they're just there as a reminder, and, and it's just the glory of God, that they're out there. Revelation 22, verse 5 says that as well. There is no longer to be any night. I love sleep, don't you? I mean, that's a hard thing for me. I mean, I just think, come on, Lord. you know. And maybe it doesn't mean there won't be any, but we're, we're transformed like Christ. And, and And you just think about this, and you can meditate on it all you want to, but there won't be any night, and they will... Not have the need of the light of the lamp nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. Reign forever and ever. We're going to worship God, but we're going to serve God. It makes it clear. Even in the the millennium, there's a lot of service. I could talk about king david being resurrected we've already mentioned the uh, the 12 apostles of matthew 19 serving over the 12 tribes in the millennium not in the new heavens and new earth and we're just going to be family in the new heavens and new earth number eight outside the city the nation still exists this was a mind blower to me if somebody was talking to me and said is there going to be people outside the city during the millennium i'd say or during the new heavens and new earth? I say, well, in the in the millennium, yes, but in the new heavens and new earth, no. And there, it's very simple, it's right there. It's, it's right here. Verse 24 and 26. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Verse 26. They will bring their glory and their honor of the nations into it. See, you know what, beloved, the gates are always open. There's no fear of crime, no fear of violence, no war, because we're all perfectly righteous because God has made us perfect. And there'll be people outside the city traveling back and forth. And I believe it will just be one landmass, the entire planet. There will be no sea. That is just an opinion, but it's right there in Scripture, so I'm just going to say what the Scripture says. And there will be the water of life. The water of life will flow from the throne of God. Verse 1 and 2 of Revelation 22. Then he showed me a river of water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and the Lamb. And the emphasis now is not so much on salvation, is it? It's not so much on the temple, because there is no temple. What it's really on is he's Lord of lords and King of kings. And he has a throne and he rules over the earth. And he rules over the heavens, his creation. The emphasis is a little bit different. He's always been Lord of Lord and King of Kings. But now it's a reality. There is no temple. You go directly into the presence of God. But he's in a throne room. And the river of life is there. In the millennium, it was there. In the garden, it was there. In the garden, the emphasis is on the tree of life. In the millennium, I'm going to just explain this like I did in the prophetic conference. Ezekiel 47, about verses 1 through 12, it talks about this idea of living water. And in the millennium, the temple is there. It's been rebuilt. And near the end of the millennium, at the second coming of Christ... Water flows from the temple. You can read it for yourself. And it's called "Living Water: Water of Life." And it flows, and it begins to go toward the Dead Sea, toward the east. And you walk out, an angel' is escorting Ezekiel in this vision, and he steps out, and he gets up to his ankles, about about 1,500 feet, OK? Then he goes another 1,500 feet, and it's up to his knees. He goes another 115 feet, and it's, it's up to his, his loins. He goes another 115 feet, and he can, he's got to swim. And this thing goes toward the Dead Sea, and it purifies the sea and makes it pure. During the millennium, only place where sea salt will be will be in the marshes and the swamps. Because you need salt. We all need salt. We don't need as much as Americans use it, but we need salt. And so there'll be salt marshes for people because people will be born during the millennium. They will live, according to Isaiah 65. They will live the life of an age of a tree. All this stuff happens in the millennium. But I just want to emphasize, when you see this river, Zechariah 14 says it also goes toward the Mediterranean. And it all flows from the temple and it kind of trickles to the south. It goes into the Ereba. And all this is er, er, uh, irrigated and everything else. And it says there'll be trees on either side of this river. And the trees uh, have the leaves for the healing of the nations. They gain 12 kinds of fruit, I think, every month. Uh, It's absolutely fascinating, but it's the river of life. Here you have it again. Here you have it again. Jesus said... A lot of pictures in Scripture. Jesus said to the woman at the well, if you would have asked of me, I would have given you what? Living water. Beloved, Jesus is pictured all over the place. The feast that they will commemorate in the millennial kingdom will all be pictures of Jesus, and the Jews will understand that they never understood the significance of their own feasts their own new moons, anything they celebrate, they'll understand it during the millennial kingdom. Now I'm not dealing with a millennium, but I'm just telling you, this river of life is essential in the word of God, and it's spoken about because it really is a picture of Christ, but it's literal. There's gonna be literal things that happen to demonstrate and remind us all the time about Christ during the new heavens and new earth. And that river of life is one of those things. And that river of life is abundant with fish. It says, like the fish of the Mediterranean during the millennium. What's it going to be like in the new heavens and new earth? It's just going to be a river of life, I believe. And then something else, number 10, the tree of life is restored. The tree of life was in the garden in Genesis. Now it's in the new heavens and new earth. And it makes it very clear in Revelation 22 2 it says after the tree bearing 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit every month the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nation the tree of life is on either side of the river just like it was in the millennium With all those trees alongside the river of life or the living waters, here it is again, flowing from the throne of God. The interesting thing about this, we know the city is 1,500 miles high and 1,500 miles uh, wide, and the, the, the wall has to be greater than that. And it flows down. So you know what? We always think of a rectangular building. It doesn't have to be rectangular. It certainly could come down and flow off, or square, I should say. It could come down and flow off the wall of the city, or it could be a pyramid and still have the same dimensions. 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles square, 1,500 miles high. And it could just run down that. So many prophetic scholars have written about the Great Pyramid in Egypt. There's some interesting things about it. If you ever look it up, read all the facts about it, it's very interesting. It could be that this is gonna be a pyramid, which we, tie into Egypt and it's idolatry but one time as we prove from the book of Isaiah these nations believe monotheistically and so he will say in Isaiah 19 during the millennium but what's he going to say in eternity he says Egypt my people Assyria my people Israel my people all Egypt, Assyria and Israel will be all joined together as one. And I don't know if I said that the right way, but give me a break if I didn't, because I'm 71 going on 80. The tree of life. The curse is removed that originated from Adam and Eve, verse 3. First part of verse 3. In chapter 22. There will no longer be any curse. In the new heavens and earth, it's completely gone. And you know what the curse is in Genesis chapter 3. Upon the serpent that was used by Satan, upon Satan, upon the woman, upon the man. You know all that. I'm not going to go into that. But I want to share the greatest thing about this, and I've just done it in skeleton form. The greatest thing is what's going to happen to all of us. That will happen to us anyway when we die or when we go to be the Lord in the rapture. What does it say? Verse 3 of chapter 21. God himself will be among them at the end of verse 3. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. All the things that we ever cried about, wept about, we agonized over, they're going to be wiped away. There will no longer be any death. And I don't know about you, I want to live as long as I can, but I always say, Lord, take me quickly, please. I don't want to linger, and I don't want my kids to see me deteriorate. I don't want to get Alzheimer's disease, but that's up to the Lord. It's up to Him. The very hairs of our head are numbered. Would I love to say goodbye to my kids? Yeah, I would. Would you love to say goodbye to your kids? I'm sure you would. And... God's in control, and whatever's best for each one of us, he's going to do. And our lifestyles and choices we make affect our lives, don't they? He's sovereign, but our choices still affect our lives. It goes on to say, in verse 4, there will no longer be any mourning. I miss my mom. I miss my best friend, my dad. I miss my brother who committed suicide. But he said before he died, I get it, guy. I get it. He just was depressed. He was on medication. The medication didn't work anymore. And I got a call saying my brother hung himself. I pray that God saved my brother. I I pray that. And maybe odds are he, he wasn't saved. I don't know. I know a lot of believers who get so depressed and are so medicated that they have taken their lives. So, I don't know. I pray, I pray that, even even if he thought when he was depressed, I made a mistake, I shouldn't have done this. I'm not going to mourn anymore. Those we love, we never really forget. A song brings back their memory. uh, Maybe Even a a movie, a program, Friends We Knew, bring back memories of those we love. I am really a weeper now. (laughs) I weep a lot out of joy. But I weep because I miss my family. I just do. And I miss saints that I've had to say goodbye to over the years. Being a, a pastor in the country for 28 years, I've said goodbye to a lot of people. I've mourned for a lot of people. And I've said goodbye to people that just leave, and I'm worn over them because I don't want them to go to Idaho. (laughs) I hate Idaho. You know, you can run, but you can't hide those states. All it takes is one bad governor, amen? We got a bill, boys. Don't let me off on politics. (sighs) Or crying. You won't cry anymore. There'll be no more pain. I've known so many people that are afflicted. Elisha was sharing about family members, not family members, but friends, people they've known. Maybe Candace was sharing it with my wife. I don't know about somebody who had cancer and their wife's gonna have a baby and all kinds of stuff like this, just out of prayerful concern and love for those people and what they've been going through, one thing after another. And when it rains it pours sometimes, doesn't Trials just sometimes hit us all at one time. We were kind of up here, We were driving for 45 minutes, our car broke. I limped back to my house with a broken CVT transmission, and I said, God, this is a Honda. This should not be happening. It's 82,000 miles, Lord. This should not happen until two or 300,000 miles, and we're going to a pastor's conference that's on prophecy. And i got to calm down, and we're limping back to the house. We grab everything, put in my wife's car. we got plenty of time. Then there's accidents on the road coming down. I'm thinking, God, are you testing me with trials? You know I'm nervous enough. Don't make me more nervous. I don't want to be late for the conference. Because I speak to you with fear and trembling. And that's the way we ought to speak. It's not about us. It's about him. but there's not going to be all this pain anymore, all this Alzheimer's. We have a person that we've known that was the one responsible bringing us to Kern Valley Bible Church, who now has Alzheimer's, and now he's been so sweet, but now he's getting agitated, and he doesn't know anybody anymore, and they own Cheryl's Diner in Lake Isabella, and we've known them for years, and he's disappearing. Not a lot of pain associated with that, but a lot of not knowing anymore your loved ones and you having to take care of somebody who just is frustrated and gets angry. People I've known that have cancer, heart disease, some of the painful diseases, especially lupus and fibromyalgia, people just crippled with rheumatoid arthritis. And I just get a little irritated when I eat the wrong thing with a left foot that responds to bad food because it's arthritic. And I'm thankful, but how many pains am I going to go through? How many pains are you going to go through? That's going to be totally eliminated. The first things have passed away. Amen. I love this place. I I love my country. I agonize over this country. I love my family. I'm so grateful grateful for what God has done with our kids and the grandkids and went on the way and will be great grandparents. I am so thankful for all that, but I can't wait to be with the Lord. I just can't. I'm anxious. And the saints in the book of Revelation say, How long, O oh Lord? How long? And I understand what they feel because the Apostle Paul said, he said, I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having desire and part." And be with Christ, which is very much better in the New American Standard. That's what it says. I love that expression. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. It's just something you really want. And he goes on to say, and we're going to end right here, and maybe I've gone way too long. I don't know. (laughs) I probably have. Sorry about that, my son. Forgive me. Hey, he's a joker and he didn't get it from me. Okay. Verse five, we're going to close right here. He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Right, for those words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. Just like he said on the cross, I am the alpha and the omega, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. I'm the beginning, the end, and I will give to the one who is thirsty from the spring of the water of life without cost. You don't pay for it. You don't earn it. It's free. And he who overcomes will inherit all things. I will be his God, and he will be my son. And you know what? We don't have to worry about sin anymore, verse 8. But for the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the immoral persons, and the sorcerers, the drug users, pharmakia, the idolaters, all liars, their part will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. None of us experience the second death. You have a life, you die. You pass from death unto life. But when somebody dies and then they're judged, that's called the second death. I don't want anybody to experience that. That's not why I read that. I'm reading that because we're missionaries and we plead with people to come to know Christ. Second Corinthians says we are ambassadors for Christ. We need to be out front. We need to show our light to people. So the homosexual, the transvestite, the murderer. And I deal with a lot of prison people. I got people in prison right now. We're trying to get them out praying for them. They've been in there for years. They've been married. Some of them got married in prison. I'm telling you, it's wild. But they're, they're new creatures in Christ. Some of them might use jailhouse religion. But the ones I know are real. And we pray for them all the time. Because people tend to send people that have come out of prison into the cheapest areas they can live. And our valley is beautiful, but it's very inexpensive to live there. I tease my son, I say, our house payment is 755 a month, Lisha. What do you think? Our property taxes, they're lower. I love the country. You know, the most traffic we get. I might see five cars on this side of the road and there are five cars on this side of the road and we only got 30,000 people in the valley and we're not so fast-paced like the book of Daniel, running to and fro, right? All kidding aside, don't we want people to come to know Christ? That's the bottom line. I want them in the new heavens and new earth. We're only gonna spend a short period in heaven And we're going to be on this earth again in the biggest apartment building you've ever been in. Rent free. No cost for the water of life. No cost for salvation. I'm telling you, beloved, I can't help but be excited. I might be almost dead at 71. In fact, I was telling some people this morning, hey, there's a lot of young people that go to this church. How many of you guys are Gen Xers or millennials? You know what I'm saying, right? Raise your hand. How many of you are boomers? Raise your hand. You know what I say about boomers and your generation? Don't mess with us. The older generation are dinosaurs. They're (laughs) T-Rexes. You guys are velociraptors. You don't have a prayer unless you gang up on us. Let's close in prayer this morning. Father God, I'm so thankful for this church. I love these people, Father. They have made us so welcome. And Father God, I'm so thankful for my wife and the impact she's had on my life and on my kids' life and on the, on the grandchildren's life. And Father, I just pray that every couple here today realizes how much they should cherish one another and love one another because our prayers are hindered as men if we don't honor our wives, and Lord God, I just pray that uh, you will bring us back to this church in victory and glory in years to come. I'll be able to share the word of God when Elisha's on vacation or something happens here, and I'll be able to visit these saints again, Father God. Well, we're just thankful for them, and I know you're going to bless the remainder of this service, and I pray this in Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Now, I want my wife to stand. You're going to stand, honey stand, stand right now. Okay. I can't get up. I can't get up. No, I'm teasing you, honey. We're going to continue.